0: Well, in our country, we've had a lot of tragedy happen. Sometimes when you step back and you look at the big picture problem or the heart of the problem, you wonder, man, is our nation ever going to come back to God? And the question is, what is the cure for a blind and dying nation? And the cure is that our eyes are opened by Jesus. We need to have our eyes open to the truth to see things the way God wants us to see them. That's today on Walk in Truth Radio. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. A blind beggar is the only one in the Gospel of Mark who actually calls Jesus the Son of David. The rabbis used to say that when the Messiah came, he would be the son of David, or they would even just call him David or the greater David because they knew that he came from the line of David. And the blind beggar knows Jesus' identity better than seemingly anyone else, perhaps even the apostles at this point. They've made some confessions, but we do wonder if they really understand what's going on. And here's what he says. The blind beggar whose name means unclean or at least his father's name says, son of David, that is Jesus. What does he say? Have mercy on me. The blind beggar recognizes his condition, and if we want to be healed, that's what we need to do. If you're a note taker, in order for us to be healed as a people, as a church, as a nation, we have to understand our condition. You know, if you go to any kind of uh, recovery type of ministry, one of the first things that they'll tell you is if you want to recover from what ails you, if you want to overcome an addiction, you have to acknowledge what your problem is. Your problem must be identified and put before you and you can't hide from it. You can't deny it any longer. You know, in Alcoholics Anonymous, they make them say, my name is so-and-so and I am an alcoholic. Because by speaking those words, you acknowledge, you take ownership of where you are and what you need to do. The blind beggar says, I need mercy. Son of David, have what? Mercy on me. Number two, if we're going to experience healing, if you're taking notes, we have to call out for mercy on our nation, from our leaders, and from our pulpits. We have to ask God for mercy. Because when we ask God for mercy, I think he will deliver it. Doesn't that sound simple? You just have to ask for mercy. What do you think keeps us from asking for mercy most of the time? Pride. We just have a tough time acknowledging that we need help. But if you want to have your eyes opened, if you want to be moved from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, you must ask for God's mercy. And sometimes what God does, and he did this certainly with Israel, is he, he did something like this. He would allow Israel to be dealt with harshly by an invading nation so Israel could look nowhere else but to God. Israel, when they were out of options when they couldn't make any more political alliances with Assyria or Egypt, Assyria to the north, Syria to the north, Egypt to the south, when they ran out of options, and that's often how God put them, and by the way, personally, God will do that to you and me as well, and you might ask the question, why does he do that? Why does God put me in positions where the only option is him? He does it for you. He does it for you. Because he knows when you're in a spot where all you can do is turn to God, then the best solution's gonna come to your life. But we can be such a stubborn people. How many people do you know right now personally who are fighting God, and the singular reason that they fight God is they don't want to admit that they're broken? They don't want to admit that they need mercy. But you know, some of our greatest leaders were found on their knees praying. And Lincoln was one of them. He said, look, I, I pray, I'm paraphrasing, I pray every day because this job is too big for me. And I need to pray. Because when we pray, heaven is enlisted. God takes simple things, but simple things can be so hard sometimes for us humans. And Jesus is getting ready to ride into Jerusalem on that colt. He's going to go to a temple where they've become Corrupted. The religious establishment is ripping off people within that temple. They are uh, selling uh, sacrificial animal, animals for exorbitant prices. The Gentiles who are trying to get a taste of who God is are, are met with this uh, you know, market of, of stuff. And Jesus goes in there and says, this house shall be called a house of prayer for how many? All the nations. Yet you've made it what? What? A den of thieves. That's right. Now, I want to take you to a book in the Old Testament. It's the book of Hosea. It's um, you got Ezekiel, Daniel, and Hosea. Let's go to chapter 8 for a second. I want to show you a picture in the book of Hosea. And here is the book, um, Hosea chapter 8. And we'll just pick it up at verse 1, Hosea 8, verse 1. Now, if you've studied the book of Hosea, Hosea is the uh, hero figure his name kind of has a connection to Hosanna, which they will proclaim to Jesus as he rides in. And Hosea, his name means to save or that God would save. Hosea is instructed by the Lord to marry a woman named Gomer. No, I do not know what her parents were thinking. (laughs) Except if you're... Got some gray hair. When they named her, they might have said something like this. Surprise, surprise, surprise. That's a little Gomer pile for you. Anyway, and I'm sure she was surprised. What we know about Gomer is that she was a wayward woman. Uh, God told the prophet Hosea, I want you to marry her, but I'm going to tell you something. She's not going to be faithful to you. She's going to cheat on you. And God made the prophet enter into God's world. Here's how. Because in marrying a wayward woman, God said that Hosea would act out God's relationship with his bride, Israel. Because his bride can't seem to be true to him. She cheats on him despite how faithful he is to her. She cheats over and over and over again. In fact, there's a point in the book of Hosea where she's gotten herself in trouble with another man, probably been impregnated by that man, and Hosea, her husband, has to go purchase her from the pimp. And I'm not kidding when I say that. She probably is under the rule of some man who sells her out for sex or does this for himself, and Hosea has to go purchase her back. Sound familiar? He has to buy her back to himself. And Jesus is about to go buy us back with what? His blood. That's the purchase price. Now look at this. This is Hosea 8. Look at verse 1. It says, put the trumpet to your lips. Like an eagle, the enemy comes against the house of the Lord. That's the temple. Because, Hosea 8, verse 1, they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. Now if you have an ESV, it says like a vulture The enemy comes against the house of the Lord. Now, here's the picture. In the book of Hosea, it's an interesting picture. Whether it's an eagle or a vulture, it's a bird of prey. And the picture is that the eagle or the vulture is flying over the temple of Israel. Now, whenever you see a vulture up in the air flying above a certain area, what do you know is happening beneath? Either something is dying and the vultures know they're about to have food Or something is dead. Get this. Here's the scene in Hosea. The vulture flies over the temple. And Hosea prophesies in a time when the northern kingdom is going to fall to Assyria and then eventually the southern kingdom falls to Babylon. And when Nebuchadnezzar comes into Israel and destroys that area, he levels the temple to the ground and they have to rebuild the temple. At the time of Jesus, Herod has rebuilt the temple and it's a glorious structure. And even that temple that they are so proud of eventually falls to the ground. In fact, Jesus says, not one stone is left upon another that is not thrown down. And here's the picture. As the vulture flies over the the holy place of the temple, the book of Hosea shows a God who says, even though you continue to do this to me, I will love you to the end. That's the God of the Bible. And so no matter where our country goes, you guys, or what we may face personally in our lives, it's required of a steward, if you go back to Mark and we'll finish it, that he be found, she be found faithful. So here's blind Bartimaeus. He says, son of David, have mercy. Have mercy. He said something that a lot of people in Jesus' day refused to say to him while he was on the planet. But Bartimaeus knew his condition and he cried out. And many, Mark ten forty-eight, were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. In Luke's account, the people that are there, he's shouting, Jesus have mercy on me and the people are trying to quiet him down. Luke eighteen thirty nine says, those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out. This is, in Greek, this is a word of deep emotion, sometimes rendered as the cry of an animal. Son of David, have mercy on me. And people were saying, shut up. Would somebody shut him up? And the more they sternly rebuked him, and, and it says that the people who were leading the group were telling him this, so it's quite possible that even the apostles are telling him to be quiet. The more they, sit, they tried to quiet him, the louder he got. You want to talk about annoying? You ever been at a restaurant? And there's that kid there. You know, that kid. And sometimes under your breath, because you're a Christian. So you don't want to say it out loud. You say, with somebody. And he, he would not give up. You see, he knew that Jesus was passing by, coming through Jericho to die on the cross. This is a one-moment opportunity. This is the moment of a lifetime. See, Bartimaeus has probably heard that Jesus is a healer. Maybe he's even had some dialogue with people who dropped him a coin. Hey, did you hear about Jesus? Maybe he's even talked to someone who's experienced the healing of Jesus. And when he is coming by, Bartimaeus He will not let the opportunity pass him by. No way. Once in a lifetime opportunity. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I've watched a lot of people over the last couple decades in the church at memorial services and things that we've done and I've preached the gospel to people and I've watched them fight God and they let the moment pass them by. Why? Because they didn't want to ask for mercy. Look, if you're here this morning and you haven't made it official, may I just exhort you? I ask for mercy. I think most of the people in here ask for mercy. And that is the key, because when you do, you'll experience the cure. Chuck Colson, who was involved in the Watergate scandal, ended up going to prison for it, had a personal experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. He shares the following words. He says, that night when I sat alone at my car, my own sin, not just dirty politics, but the hatred and evil so deep within me was thrust before my eyes, forcefully and painfully. For the first time in my life, I felt unclean. And worst of all, I could not escape. In those moments of clarity, I found myself driven, irresistibly, into the arms of the living God, out of options, sitting in his car, knowing that he was probably facing prison time. A man that was in one of the more powerful positions in the United States became born again that night in his car. He finally came to terms with his own sin, not the problem of everybody else, but his own heart. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. Really appreciate you tuning into the broadcast today. I'm going to tell you about a website that we have. It's a brand new website. It's called walkintruth.com. And on that website, you can find a new devotional. It's a video devotion called A Step Closer. The intention is to help you get a little bit closer in your walk with Jesus Christ. So go today to walkintruth.com. Scroll down on the video devotion called A Step Closer. And our prayer is that it will get you a little bit closer in your walk with Jesus Christ today. That's walkintruth.com. God bless you. A man that was in one of the more powerful positions in the United States became born again that night in his car. He finally came to terms with his own sin. Not the problem of everybody else, but his own heart. I recall a story, uh, they were doing the Nuremberg trials and they were putting the Nazi leaders on trial for war crimes. There was a man in there, a Jewish man, who had experienced the torment of the Nazis. And in the Nuremberg trials, they would bring these men in that had done these atrocities. And when one of the generals or one of these guys was brought in, the Jewish man who had suffered the atrocities but had survived, when he saw him, he fainted and people had to revive him in the court. And so when they talked to him later, they said, why did you faint when that man walked in, that that man that had done all these terrible atrocities? Did you faint because you were afraid of him? Did you faint because you recalled the terrible damage that he did to you and others by killing people around you? And he goes, no, that's not why I fainted. He said, I fainted because when he walked in, he looked so human." When he walked, you know, when I was in that camp, he seemed so big and so evil and so terrible. And when he walked into that court, he looked so human that it shocked me because my images of this man had become so big and he was so small. And then he says, then I looked at my own heart and I said to myself, if he could do that, I could do that. And that's what made him faint. And like, That's not what I expected to hear. But see, that is our humanity. That's why Bartimaeus is such a great example for the nation. This is what the nation needed to do. The nation needed to say, Lord, we've been blind. We've been broken. Open our eyes. Someone once bluntly asked blind and deaf Helen Keller, isn't it terrible to be blind? to which she responded, better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. Close quote. And I think Bartimaeus that day saw a lot more than a lot of people around him. And when you call for mercy, there's going to be some people around you who tell you to be quiet. When you say Jesus is the answer, there's going to be some people around you who say, don't say that. And they may even try to sternly rebuke you. May I just exhort you? And here's where I've come with that whole thing. I don't care. (laughs) Because I don't answer to them. I'm not going to stand before them on judgment day. Amen? I'm going to answer to the one who came and died for me and said to live for his kingdom. So Bartimaeus, you know, Jesus huge crowd around him, all these pilgrims heading to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, which will be celebrated that final week as Jesus is uh, there for Passover week and his passion and the cross and the resurrection. And here's a poor beggar. How many times do you think Jesus ran into people who just wanted to talk to him, cried for mercy? You know, if you were heading towards the cross, would you have stopped for Bartimaeus? I mean, Jesus could have said, look, Dude, I've got problems. <laughs> now, let me, let me just, you know, inform you. I'm, I'm coming up to the last week of my life. I'm going to die for the sins of the world. But, you know, the Bible says something incredibly insightful about the heart of our God. Verse 49 says, Jesus stopped. There's so many times in my life when I think the Lord tells me, Michael... Stop, Michael, take a look around you and stop. And I'm like, no, no, Lord, 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 you don't know. I'm busy. I'm running late. (laughs) I've got to be here. I've got to be there. And oftentimes when the Lord tells me to stop, it's not for a stranger. Sometimes it's for a stranger, but often it's for the things that I say I value the most. Are you with me? The things that I say I care about the most and I'm so quick to pass them by in my daily life. Things that God's put right in front of me. Things that he says I'm to value and treasure. And he often says to me, Michael, stop. I'm like, but Lord, I gotta do it. No, you don't. You need to spend some time with me and you need to invest in the things that I've called you to do. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. Beautiful heart of our Savior. They called the blind man, saying to him, take courage. I'll add this, be quiet. <laughs> take courage, arise. Look at verse 49. He's calling for you. Can you imagine, Barnabas? Man, he had to be fired up. He, who, he, he, Jesus? With all those people, he's calling for me. Sometimes, you know, we feel like we're one hand in the hand of tens of millions of people. Does, does Jesus really care Some of you need to mark verse 49. He's calling for you. In Isaiah 6, the Lord said, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am, Lord. Send me. Have you been called? Have you heard his voice? He's calling for you. He called for Bartimaeus, seemingly a nobody in the crowd. And casting aside his cloak, notice Bartimaeus, he jumped up (laughs) like he was on a spring. And he came to Jesus. His cloak was probably his only earthly possession that he owned, and it would keep him warm at night, and he would fold it to collect uh, alms for himself. But he cast it aside. I don't know what you might need to cast aside. I don't know what's keeping you down, but he jumped up and he came to Jesus, and this is the key. In answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Now, if you're blind Bartimaeus, how would you respond to that question? I mean, you've probably had to be helped over to Jesus. You probably didn't take a straight line because of the crowd. Maybe a couple people, hey, he's calling for you, come on. Maybe they held his hands. And you come to Jesus, and you're obviously blind. And he says to you, what do you want me to do for you? I want to make this personal. If you had a moment like this with Jesus, and Jesus asked you, he called you, you had a face-to-face with the Lord of the universe, and he asks you, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? What would you say right now, today? How would you answer that question? What do you want me to do for you? Remember, the, uh, James and John had said, Lord, we want you to do for us whatever we ask, okay? Okay, and mama's here too. What did they ask for? The best positions, right? Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking for. If you want to sit on my right hand and my left hand, guess where I'm headed? I'm headed for a cross, and my right hand and left hand is going to be two more crosses. You don't know what you're asking for. What do you want me to do for you? You know, Bartimaeus could have said, well, isn't it obvious? But I think Jesus is trying to bring out the man's faith. And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, Lord in Luke 18.41, Rabboni is simply rabbi or teacher. I want to regain my sight. May I suggest to you that if you came to Jesus and you asked the same spiritually speaking, if you came to Jesus and said to the Lord, Lord, I want to regain my sight. I've lost it. Somehow my eyes have been clouded. Somehow by my situations or life experience, I've, I've become blind. I want to see again. I want to regain my sight. I want it back. One writer said, every time a man sins, he becomes blinder, less capable of realizing what sin is, less likely of realizing that he's a sinner. For unfor- unforgiven sinners, darkness and light are the same. Their blindness makes it impossible to see. What we need is for God to remove our darkness, to open our eyes, and to give us life. And Jesus, after he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight, Jesus said to him, and I think Matthew's gospel says, yeah, go ahead and mark this down because this is important. Matthew 20, 34 says, Jesus was moved with compassion. And he touched their eyes. There were two of them. Mark focuses on the one Bartimaeus. And immediately they regained their sight, Matthew 20, verse 34, and followed him. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight. And what did he do? He began following him on the road. You see, when you become a Christian, you become a new creation in Christ, and your eyes are open How many things have changed for you since you became a Christian? Everything. Everything. How many illuminating moments have you had? How many, like, wow moments have you had as a Christian? Like, wow, I didn't see that one before, but now I see. Like the blind man in John 9, once I was blind, but now I can see. Luke 18.42, receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. That's the way you could render the Greek. What Jesus wants from us is faith. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that this incredible scene in Mark's gospel is so insightful to what we truly need, spiritually speaking. We need 2020 in our hearts to see the times, Lord, that we live in, to see you, for who you are to see our need to cry for mercy. These are simple but they're very profound things, Lord, because they're what you call us to do. But as a Christian, we know that this is already done. You've already gone to the cross. You've already paid for our sins. It's a done deal. What really matters now is that we follow you. Like Bartimaeus did and once his eyes were open, man, he followed you right into the Passover and the crucifixion and resurrection, what he was able to see. He was able to see the gospel. Lord, let us see it clearly. Let us be those who follow you and share the good news of Christ. And I pray that as people are here this morning and maybe they're wrestling with some things in this message, maybe their eyes have been opened for the first time. Maybe they've regained some sight. I pray that you'd help us to respond in a way that brings you honor and glory that moves forward the gospel in our country, Lord. We pray over America, pray over the United States. We pray that we will, we will return to you, Lord, as a people. And we'll start in your house, and we'll start with the church. Thank you for the precious saints that are here, wonderful people of God. I pray you'll bless them and keep them, keep their eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of their faith. We love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to tell you about Suit Up, putting on the full armor of God, a revealing look at God's armor. What this book is really about, it's written in a devotional style, and it's written to help you, the believer, to put on the full armor of God. Each piece of armor is custom made to help you in the typical ways that the enemy attacks. Each piece of armor reflects God himself. I want to get this book in your hands because I believe it's going to help you as a Christian to walk in strength, to know how to put on the armor daily, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, and to experience more victory in your Christian life. I would urge you to get the book today on the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.